0: This is coming right out of a Max Max Lucado book. Check this out. Chippy, the parakeet, never saw it coming. One second, he was peacefully perched in his cage, and the next, he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. You there? She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. The phone rang, and she turned to pick it up. She barely said hello, When Chippy got sucked in, the bird owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum, and opened the bag. There was Chippy, still alive but stunned. Since the bird was covered with dust and soot, she grabbed him and raced to the bathroom, turned on the faucet, and held Chippy under the running water. Then realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hair dryer and blasted the pet with hot air. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. A few days after the trauma, the reporter who initially had written the event, about the event contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, she said, Chippy doesn't sing anymore. He just sits and stares. He continues writing. It's not hard to see why. Sucked in, washed up, and blown over, that's enough to steal the song from the stoutest heart. Can you relate to Chippy? Most of us can. One minute you're seated in familiar territory with a song on your lips, then the pink slip comes, the rejection letter arrives, the doctor calls, the divorce papers are delivered, the check bounces, the policeman knocks on your door, you're sucked up into a black cavern of doubts, doused with the cold water of reality and stung with the hot air of empty promises. The life that had been so calm... Is now stormy. You're hailstormed by demands, assailed by doubts, pummeled by questions, and somewhere in the trauma, you lose your joy. Somewhere in the storm, you lose your song. Now that's out of Max Cato's book, In the Eye of the Storm, uh, back from 91. Classic book. Um I recommend it, um, especially with what we're talking about today. Let me jump into the text and we're gonna we're gonna dissect what it means to be in storms. Mark chapter four thirty five to forty one. On that day when evening had come he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd they took with him in the boat just as he they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they awoke him, and they said to him, Teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? There's the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, uh, just declare to you that... uh, Every one of us can identify storms that have been in our life, unexpected circumstances that happen we and they they happen without us realizing it, God. They they're unexpected. We didn't we didn't see it coming. Lord, when those things happen it really reveals what our bedrock is made of, where is our foundation? What is our worldview? God, I pray that you'd be so good to us that today you would reveal our worldview. That, God, in my life today, would you show, as you've been showing me this week, show me where my peace and my joy is too much connected to my circumstances, God, rather than in the reality of who you are. God, bring great, sweet, convicting crush upon me and upon us today as we analyze that. And may we know, God, you reveal those things not out of condemnation, but out of love, because you want us to come to to you. Bless us and do powerful things in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're we're talking about the storms of life. What are storms? Um, First of all, they're, they're not... They're not what happens to you because of your stupid decisions. Now, they may be, it may be something that happens to you as a result of somebody else's stupid decision. Or it may be a storm that you cause to someone else because of your stupid decision. But the storms, as we're going to look at them and define them today, um, it's not caused by you and then happens to you. Um, it's not a devastation that you see coming down the pike. It's not, you, you, see, you see the light coming you, you know the railroad's headed for you, and, and you're you're clenching your teeth and you're getting ready for it. It's not that. I want to define these storms as events that T-bone you. They're external circumstances that happen to you when you don't see it coming. Um, some of y'all, some of you men, women, students, you've you've uh, taken martial arts or boxing, different uh, different things, wrestling even and and, and you you know you, you spar in this as you start learning your forms. Uh, your techniques, you spar with one another. Um, And so you expect when you're in the middle of wrestling uh, that you will get pinned or you'd pin the other person. You expect if you're boxing or uh, doing some karate that somebody is, is they're going to try to to slip one in on you. That is not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is more like a sucker punch that you did not see coming. There's... A little further, though, is I want you to see these as circumstances that make you fear or lose your peace. It's things that happen externally to you as a result. You're afraid and you lose your peace. Verse 35, let's, let's unpack it. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. Um, the other side, this was the eastern side of the lake uh, called the Sea of Galilee. And it was an area called the Decapolis, and this is where the Gentiles were. And and though Jesus, you know, from time to time he would engage with those that weren't Jews, those who were the Gentiles. Um, there had not been a concerted effort yet. And this is kind of an introduction, and this is kind of a beginning of Jesus's Jesus's thrust of saying, "All right, I love the Gentiles," and so they're headed over there. And there's some other stories that are come that'll come after this, but. Just know, I mean, some Gentiles had already followed him. You could look at uh, chapter 3, verse 8, and, and, and look back on that. But this is a strategic move, taking the Jews, taking his disciples toward those that were not Jews. And I want to stop, even before we get into, get into this, get into the storms of your life, is I want to ask you, who are those that are in your sphere of influence right now, that God's already put around you, but they're not of your tribe, those that God wants you to strategically connect with, those He wants you to con, He wants you to serve and to seek gospel conversations with them. Who are they? Who are the people God's placed around you? I want you to ask the Lord, just God, show me these people, and then tell me what you want me to do. And He's going to tell you, go. He's going to tell you, engage. Now, another another point that I'm making here is that as we look into this, and as you start connecting the dots to your own storms that you've had, and as you start as you start preparing for the storm that's going to happen next in your life, Jesus knew the storm was coming, you guys. He was not taken, taken by surprise in this. Jesus knew the storm was coming, and He led them there anyway. He led them there. Now, don't glaze over that. Jesus did this on purpose. Now, not all bad things that happen to you are things that God says, man, I'm, I'm doing this to you, I'm ordaining this, and I'm, I'm pleased with the wicked, evil thing. That is not God's heart. But I can tell you that any storm that you've been through or anything you're going to go through, God has a purpose. There's something He wants to do, and we'll unpack that a little bit, a little bit further. But I, the, the reality is, as you, as you think about this, it's problematic. It's problematic if, first... If you think that God is not all-powerful, if you doubt God's power or His knowledge, it's very problematic if you know that Jesus leads us into storms, or it's problematic if you think God is not loving. If you don't think that God loves you, then you're not going to understand how in the world He could take me toward a storm. Again, Jesus is did this on purpose. It was His idea to go in the first place. R- Rick Warren, one of my favorite things that he said, I guess, was he said, God is not interested in your comfort, but in your confirmation. He's not interested in your comfort, but your confirmation. Comfort and our ideas of what safety is are not, are not catalysts of growth. You hear me? Comfort doesn't press you into anything except for the lazy boy. It's only when life is stirred, when the, when the mud and the muck starts coming up from the bottom, when something T-bones us, or even when we're expecting it, something that, that does happen, it's only when these things happen, when there's tension in our life, that we can grow. As much as we would like to have a life of ease, um, I'm, not, I've seen, I'm, I'm a kind of a sci-fi fan, Kind of a nerd in that way, and the movies and the uh, some of the books, and and I don't remember the story, but I remember remember a story. Some of y'all can tell me later on if you remember what it is. But a, a story where um, technology got to such a, a high place that um, the humans had to do nothing. Everything was done for them, and they just basically rested in in like a like a some kind of a futuristic. Chase Lounge, and I mean, it just, they didn't have to do anything, and as a result, they got incredibly soft and brittle, and and just, to where they, they were, they were fragile people. Listen, without friction in our lives, we're fragile. You'll be broken quickly. All right, somebody's already figured it out, right? Huh? Wally? Okay. All right. Oh, you know what? Yep. That would fit. That would fit. There you go. Wally, Disney, right? Um, You get fragile. That is not God's idea and ideal for us is comfort. He says, I want to use you and I want to grow you as my son and my daughter. And he takes no pleasure, no pleasure in the cruel things that happens to us. But you know what he does? He harnesses every situation. You, You hear, catch that, that verbiage? Every storm that comes, he harnesses it and says, though, it, though even some of the things are wicked, I will use this. I will use this in their life. Verse 36, leaving the crowd, they took, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. Um. There was something in there that I've never seen as I was studying for this. It was that last little phrase, and other boats were with him. I don't think that I've ever considered this before. That there were some other boats that were going out with them as well. That they got caught in the storm too, but Jesus wasn't in their boat. We're going to come back to that in a little while. Verse 37. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking on into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So they're on a boat. The waves are crashing in. Um, it, it it just it reminds me um, that that this. I mean, this is a metaphor. It is a picture of of life. It's part of the reason why. And I named this church Sojourn Church, It's to remind us, man, we are in the middle of a broken world on a journey, and it's very uncomfortable. and And storms are are kind of our milestones in many ways. Somebody said you're you're either you're either in, in a storm, you've just come out of a storm, or you're about to head into a storm. It's, and it's what life is in this broken world. Well, the boat was filling up. I can't, inter, I can't uh, interview him today, but I want to read to you the first little part of a book that a friend of mine, Bruce Martin, uh, just released, this book called Desperate for Hope. He says, I still remember the phone call five days before Christmas 2002. A sinking feeling grew in my stomach as I realized who the caller was. I knew instinctively how the call would go. As my wife pleaded with the young girl on the end, other end of the line, desperation in her voice, I felt helpless and a little embarrassed. Her voice trembled. Don't do this. Please don't do this to our family. We were losing our daughter. We'd been down this road before. Several years before, we'd lost twin boys in a failed adoption attempt. And now the nightmare was replaying itself, only worse. This time, we'd brought her home. For the last ten weeks, we'd fallen in love with our first daughter, Zoe Marie. We'd prayed and prayed for God to give us a second child. And he gave us a beautiful strawberry blonde girl. For the first month, I successfully kept my heart at a distance But after several weeks of feeding her, changing her, making her laugh, comforting her when she cried, I was hooked. I would hold her for hours at a time and just stare at her face. Awake or asleep, it did not matter. I was her father and she was my princess. But our dreams shattered. The birth mother had changed her mind and we would have to give her back. There was no legal recourse. We knew this was a possibility, but our lawyer really thought she would sign the paperwork. She just needed a little time. Ten weeks. Now I face the impossible task of comforting my wife. The desperation I heard in her voice as she begged for her child didn't bode well for me. As hard as losing another child was going to be for me, it was going to be even harder on her. And how was I going to explain to my four-year-old son that he did not have a sister anymore? I didn't even want to think about it. The timing couldn't have been worse. Out of work, I I had not received a paycheck for... For 16 of the previous 24 months, we'd just moved back to Huntsville, Alabama from Denver, Colorado after a colossal failure at church planting. Drowning in a sea of credit card debt, we lived about 30 days from bankruptcy. To top it all off, my wife and I both suffered from near-clinical depression. At the lowest point of my life, the one bright spot was Zoe. That phone call culminated our perfect storm. Three individual storms collided in our lives at the same time with devastating results. We thought we were going to die. And to be honest, that would have been fine with me. I was tired, tired of the pain, tired of trying to do the right thing and getting nothing but disappointment, tired of saying the right thing, propping up my family with a seemingly unlimited supply of optimism and spiritual fortitude, tired of serving God. I was done. Maybe you can relate. That's the beginning of his book. I recommend it to you. Um, Desperate for hope, hanging on and finding God during life's hardest times. Maybe you, you've been there. And just you get, you get t-boned. You get sucker punched by, by the news that just happened, by what has just taken place. In your life. And you don't know what to do next. You know when you, when, you get, when you get sucker punched like that. It's not just okay. You're dazed. And you're confused. And it starts to eat away at the foundations of your life. To, to where it, it breaks you down all the way to your bedrock. To what you really do believe. Not what you say you believe. But what you really do believe. That's where it takes you. Verse 38. He was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. He was asleep on the cushion. Jesus was. And they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Guys, this is part of the reason I believe the Bible is true. And this is so realistic. And they think that they're about to die. And their leader, the one who's the closest to God, is asleep. Sleep on the job. Jesus, don't you care? I'm getting laid off. My mom had a stroke. My husband's addicted to porn. My wife just gave me divorce papers. I feel so alone. I feel so abused. Jesus, don't you care? And then Jesus responded. He awoke and He rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now hold on. I don't think that's the way he said it. Because he's he's a wonderful, good shepherd that has compassion for dumb sheep like me. And like you. I think he looked at him. And it was truth. It was a hard truth. But with compassion, I believe he looked and just said, why are you so afraid? Do you you still have no faith? So afraid. Let's talk about fear. Let's talk about what happens when these things happen. Listen to me carefully. Y'all look at me for a second. It's huge worldview things. If there is no God, you have much to fear. Or, if there is a God, but He's malevolent, you have much to fear. Or, if there is a God, but He's apathetic, and He really doesn't care, you have much to fear. But, if there is a God, and He is all-powerful, And He is loving and He is near. You and I have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear if that's God. Guys, I propose to you, that is the God of the Bible. And I want us to just unpack and let this kind of roll and just filter down into your soul the belief that if we have a God that is all-powerful and if He's loving and if He's close then there's nothing in the world to fear. Now, does that mean there's something wrong in a, you know in its of itself of being afraid or being caught off guard? No. What I'm saying is when when you kind of shake it off, after the punch, you know, after you, you get over a little bit of the dizziness, then then you go back to the bedrock and you look down and say, What I'm standing on is that there is a God, that He's all powerful, that He loves, He's loving, He's near me. So therefore, I will not give in to this fear. It's very real what I'm going through. But I will not be devastated by it. Because my God is near me. He's near. I've noticed a way to instill courage in others. Some of the best moments, you know, best memories in my life have been in um, a camp called Canicut Camps. Uh, that some of y'all are familiar with. Some of you have worked there or sent kids there. Some of y'all have gone there. Uh, I highly recommend it out in Missouri. Just a tremendous uh, Christian sports camp. And one of these places where they've got high ropes courses and they've got a, got this big cable that it's a screamer swing uh, that, you, that you get on. And they've got these poles that you climb up, you know, and and, and, uh, and that you, you get on the top of, of this. There's nothing else around you. And then there's a big trapeze, you know, uh, that's out. And it seems like it's a, a mile away from you. And they say, you've got to jump to it. You know, and, and it just the list goes on and on of all these things where you have to encounter fear in your life. And what I've noticed is, if you have the right safety gear, it really affects your fear. It really can eat away or completely take away your fear. Christmas 1983, um, uh, one of my favorite Christmases, probably my favorite Christmas as as a boy. Uh, that was the year that, that Shane, got his, uh, Shane got a Mustang GT. Really stupid decision for a, for a uh, 17-year-old to get that. But um, they got me a uh, Honda XR80. How many of you guys, you already know what I'm talking about, Honda XR80. It was my dirt bike, and um, they were smart enough to buy a helmet with it, uh, knowing me and they uh, they bought some gloves as well, which they weren 't just regular gloves, but special padding on the gloves so if you hit brush and stuff like that um, and I remember I cranked that thing up and, and went down the driveway, went about ten feet, hit the front, hit the front brake, yes, you know, flipped completely over the top of it, landed. Have you guys seen these these guys that that um, uh, the beatbox guys that, that well, come on, help, help me out, what's, huh? Yeah, the breakdancing, B-boys, and have you ever seen these guys that they'll actually <laughs> jump, they'll jump and land on the top of their head and slide like that? All right, that's what I did, you know, it was about it was about three feet of orange that was on, on the pavements, got up, and of course, my, my bike's got the first scratch, and my my uh, helmets got the first scratch, and I rolled and got right back up and jumped right on, back on there, um, and I just kept going, and there were so many crashes uh, that I that I took in my yard and, and in the woods and in the trails with, with my, my best friend uh, all the time, and the thing was is that, I mean, I, I, I dressed, I had long sleeves, I'd always wear long sleeves and jeans and, and boots, and, and I didn't have even some of the other protective gear that some guys wear, the, the chest stuff and arms and the legs, that you can do, I, I probably really would have killed myself if I'd had those because the safety gear made me feel like Superman. Especially after that first time, I'm like, I can't die. You know, <laughs> that's pretty stupid for for a kid. Um, par for the course in my life, but there's just something about when you have gear like that if you've been rappelling, and if you've got somebody that you know they're certified, um, not crazy, but certified in 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 rappelling um, that. That will take you and train you. And you, you've, got, you've got your harness on. You know, and they check and double check. Sometimes triple check all the gear. And you've got not just carabiners, you've got locking carabiners. And you've got, um, you've got the guy that's down on belay for you to come down the wall. Or, or to come down, um, you know, the rock, rock wall that you're, that you're climbing. And, and man, there's just something about when you have somebody that has your back. Or you've got the right kind of gear on. It, it dispels, Dispels fear. Guys, this is is how Jesus is in our life. If if you believe that there's a God, and you believe He's all-powerful, He's loving, and He's near, there is, and and I want to say in a a good way, there's a a good Superman complex that can come with that, that basically says, I can't die before my time. We're talking about a boat that's starting to sink. Guys, someday... The boat's gonna sink. Someday you're gonna be the storm when you die for somebody else. And it's it's gonna sink someday. But even when it sinks, if there's a God who is all powerful, is loving, is near, it's okay. It's all right, it doesn't matter what the storm is, because. You're not resting. Your, your peace is not based upon your circumstance. Your peace is based upon this God that you trust. And I mean, sometime maybe today or this week, go back and look at Ephesians 6. It just talks in there about this armor of God that, that he, he provides for us. Even just, talk, even just talking about the, that, that, our, that our, uh, we have a shield. Uh, I mean, we have a, the chest place of, of righteousness. That ultimately your heart cannot be damp. your heart can't be devastated. Because it's righteousness that protects it. It's not your righteousness, it's Jesus' righteousness. Satan can't ultimately touch you. We we're singing about that earlier. Is that, is that man, it doesn't matter what, what weapons that are formed against us, they will not ultimately prosper. Now are they going to hurt and sting? Will they damage? Might you even, your boat might even sink as a result of a weapon, you know, that was formed against you? Yeah, yeah. But if there's a God who's all-powerful and He's loving and He's near to you, it doesn't matter what those circumstances are. It doesn't matter how you're taken out someday. There's peace that will, that will remain in the middle of it. Very real, hard. Circumstances. We're not dismissing how difficult storms are. Please don't do that. Please don't go from this to your friend that's in the middle of a storm and say, dude, you need to get over it because Jesus, Jesus is all powerful. He loves you and He's, he's near to you. So you, need to, you just need to kind of wake up. That's not loving. But for us to walk with one another is, is vital. We do this. One of the things that, that helps us in, in this is to note that Jesus was courageous. In the storm, guys. Uh, Lest you think that you have to be the one that invents or summons up the courage that it's on you, you can let that one go too. You don't have to be the hero. You don't have to be the courageous one. You just need to say, Holy Spirit, you live within me. You got all the courage that I need. Explode through me. Bring the courage, may it bubble up in my life and you, you just bring the courage up through me and out through me and my words and my heart and my mind. May your courage just course through my veins. It doesn't have to have anything to do with me. I submit and surrender. That's that's what it takes. You don't have to be the hero. God is the hero. His Spirit is within you. Ask Him to hurl His courage out through you. Another thing I, I just noted in 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 looking at this, um, I mean y'all know it, we we believe our, our core values here is are jesus community and, and mission and and i don't want to i don't want to falsely press all that into 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 a sermon at all, but man, the community side of this we can see this as well um, i mean note jesus he decided. He decides that the disciples were going to go through this storm together. Listen, listen to me. You are not meant to walk through storms alone. You're not meant to. I mean, for you to be a lone ranger out there and to say, man, all I need is Jesus, you've bought into a lie. Because that is not what Jesus is his, how what his design is. He said in the very beginning. It's not good that man should be alone. And that first had to do with marriage, but it also has tremendous, tremendous implications of how we're to walk life out together. We need one another. And sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you're in a, a storm together, that it's a storm that affects all of you in your family, in your group that you're in, out at work, in your neighborhood, in the school that you're in. It just affects everyone right there. You know? Your church, you're all being affected by what's what's going on. But then there's other times when it's just gonna be just gonna be you that the storm is affecting. But what God intends is for the others that to rally around you. To be able to say, you know what, man, to be able to say, Dave, man, you're not alone walking this out. JD, man, you're not alone. I'm, I'm with you. I can't I can't be your hero and I can't fix it. But I can tell you, man, Jesus is with you, and I'll be with you if you'll let me. That brings incredible strength. Incredible strength. Storms are difficult enough, but if you're isolated, they are hell on earth. Do not be isolated. God ordained this storm. He ordains many storms. And some of us need to crush a worldview that... Basically, praise God. Let there be no storms. Have you ever prayed that? You may not have prayed it. But you might have. You might have thought it. Or it, it could be that you you you're at a place just in your in your life that you think that that means you're a good Christian, you're faithful, or that God loves you. If there's no storms, it's it's just it's just some of the, the sticky residue of. of a a prosperity theology that thinks that, man, if you're a good enough Christian, you're going to be healthy and you're going to be wealthy. Or you can judge God by that. If you're not healthy or wealthy, then God's not a good and loving God. And that's a bunch of crap, you guys. God has promised that life is going to be hard. But He's promised He's going to be with you in the middle of the storms. It's an unbiblical prayer pray, God, let there be no storms. Jesus promised us pain. He promised us difficulties. It's going to be hard. But then he said, John 14, verse 1, he said this. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That when, when you've been T-boned, you've been sucker punched, it leaves you dazed, and confused. No, it's going to affect your beliefs. Either you're going to have a total wrong view of how life is supposed to be, or you're going to turn the pointer finger around and just say, God, you're, no, you're not a good God. You're not a loving God. Rebuild your foundations. And say, God, when my heart is troubled, if you reverse engineer this, when my heart is troubled, May I know I am not believing in God. I'm not believing in Jesus. Something about my belief in God has failed or is corrupt. If my heart if my heart I would say it's devastated. Because I mean our hearts are troubled about many things. But if we stay there, if we stay in a point of depression, if we stay in a point, if we stay in a point of disbelief, it's not a It's not bad to get there. We we need to admit that, confess it to this wonderful counselor. But if we never pull out of it, we need to know something's wrong with our belief. Jesus said this in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. But not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let them be afraid. When we get to that place where we lose our peace, when we get to the place our hearts are troubled that much, when we're in a place where we're so afraid, we must know, God, my belief system has crashed. It's imploded upon itself. Philippians 4 7 says this: the peace of God which passes all surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The problem is not a lack of peace. The problem is belief. Believing that God is powerful, He's loving, and He's near. And if He's near, He brings everything that He has with Him. He brings His arsenal. He brings all His fruit. Peace is a big one of those. So here's a prayer that I would challenge you guys to to pray to God. Instead Instead of the prayer that says, God, please let there be no storms. Pray, God, give me a sense of your presence. God, give me peace. God, give me wisdom. It's very simple. Very simple prayer. That getting back to believing that God is all-powerful, that He's loving, that He's near. Just say, God, could give me a sense of Your presence because You're declaring in that, God, You are near me. I know You are. So God, give me a sense of it. God, give me peace. God, give me wisdom. Because there's dry times. There's times in which you don't feel it it doesn't feel like God's there. You don't have the warm fuzzies. Times There's times in which, times in which and you know, you've been there. You come in a corporate gathering like this and, and you just know, man, God's moving around in other people, but you're just kind of like, man, what, what's the deal? I, I just, I feel, I feel unchanged. I feel alone in the middle of a bunch of people. It's, again, where we just have to confess, get, get past our feelings and say, God, I know you're near me. I pray you would give me a sense of that. Give me peace. And then when you don't know what to do, just say, God, give me wisdom. Because He may not give you clarity. He may not give you the whys of why you're there or why it happens. But He will give you the wisdom of the next step. He might not even give you the wisdom right then of step 5 or step 10 or step 50 that's coming up. But He'll tell you what to do next. It's like manna. Peace is and wisdom. It's like manna. God says, "I'll give you what you need when you need it." They had a lack of faith. Jesus calmed his disciples, and he he infused their faith by revealing his sovereignty. Jesus was king before the storm. He was king at the beginning of the storm. Jesus was king during the storm. He was king when the disciples got concerned about the storm. Jesus was king when the disciples freaked out about the storm. And Jesus was king when they were in awe and when they worshipped Him after He calmed the storm. He was king through the whole thing. Through the whole time He was king. He says, have faith in that. Just know. You may not understand it. Just know that I'm king I'm all powerful. I love you. And I'm near you. You know what, guys? This is a a type of worship. Just, if you desire, if you're led, confess this truth with me. Say, say, Jesus is powerful. Say, Jesus is loving. Say, Jesus is close. You know, back to uh, verse 37. You know, it's a, a sojourn we have in a broken world, like a boat in the water. And some days are calm. Some days are boring. Some days are dismal. And some days the boat is filling. And Jesus wants us to know that His blessing upon us is to not leave you alone in the boat. When it's calm, He's there. When things are mundane, He's there. When things are dreary, He's there. And when the storms are upon you, He's there. The boat is filling. And, and, and if He doesn't intervene, these guys were dead. And So if we define success as, as rather than no bad circumstances, but rather that success is that God would be with us, That's what we look at as being the greatest truth, then it doesn't matter what the circumstance is. If the greatest thing in all of life is that God is with you and He's with me, then it doesn't I'm not saying the circumstance is irrelevant, but it overshadows it. They're afraid. They're afraid. I had no faith in Him. Some days the crew is lost in the storm, but Jesus, He is still God. He's still powerful and He's still near. So that kind of begs the question of like, what is my problem? Why, you know, sounds good and all. I think I agree with that, Dave, and all. But what is my problem? Because I keep... Button heads when the storms come, when the circumstances are bad. I, I, my, my faith falters. What is it? You know what it is? It's that I want to be God. And that you want to be God. What? Dave, I don't, I don't want to be God. What are you talking about? Yes, you do. And so do I. At least we want to call the shots. We want to we define fairness. We want to define love. We want to define merit. We want to define justice. We want to define compassion. We want to define what good stewardship is. And therefore, we judge God. Yes, we judge judge God when He does not follow our playbook. We get angry. And it makes us afraid. John 16, 33 says this. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Say that with me. In the world? That's right. You will. You're going to have it. But what? What's it say? But take heart. I've overcome the world. Take heart. That's what he was doing at this point is the kingdom, which we've been talking about, came and exploded on the scene. And all of a sudden, you're able to see the king of the universe in a way where he just says, Hey, waves and storm, shh. Calm down. He's king. He says, I've overcome the world. There's, there's nothing more powerful than me. When we went to the cross, he's saying, Not even sin, not even your sin. And it may be someone in here or maybe may be a good friend of yours that you're walking life with right now that you or they think, man, I'm just too bad. I, God could never really love me because I've done too many rotten things. I'm just telling you, there's no sin that's greater than that. Guys, remember, Jesus' journey and the storms He faced, it looked like failure too. It did, up until the resurrection. Things that happened that last week, those last few hours, it looked like he was a failure. There's times in your life these storms are going to come and you're going to analyze it and look at it and just say, I failed or God failed. But you're not at the end of the story. The cross wasn't the end of the story. The, The tomb of Joseph of Arimathea was not the end of the story. We see at the resurrection that that's where the power is. That's where the glory is, where God said, I am king and I've revealed it now. And I want you to know, God just wants you to say, before your resurrection, have faith. Have faith. He who resurrected himself, he's going to resurrect you. In this world, you'll have tribulation, but take heart, because I've overcome the world. Verse 41. They're filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? that was the aha moment that they had. And that's the aha moment God wants to give to me today and to you today. Is that we just pull back and just say, who is this? And that everything is in submission to Him. There's There's a scripture out of the Old Testament that says, Who is man that you would be mindful of us? Who are we, God, that you would show any kind of favor? Why isn't the truth that there is a God, but he's malevolent or apathetic? Why isn't that the truth? It certainly could have been the truth, and you can't do anything about it, if that's who God was. But that's not God. This God, he's all-powerful, and he's loving, and he's near. Let me just give you guys some concluding thoughts as we confess things before the Lord and make some commitments to Him. First of all, He is sovereign when you or I doubt or forget. He is powerful even when you doubt or forget it. He is near even when you doubt or forget it. But also, listen, don't miss this. He is gracious even when you doubt it or forget it. See guys, I'm I'm not wielding an iron fist today, slapping you around saying, how dare you doubt? How dare you be that disciple that freaks out in the middle of the storm? Because we're all that disciple. Every one of us do. Every one of us do that. Jesus doesn't slap us around. He's gracious that even when we forget, even when we doubt Him, He just says, I love you, and I've got you. I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in Me what's the rest. He is the resurrection. He is the one that has all that we need and that He will give us the peace that we need even when we fail, even when we doubt. So as y'all, as you come, as you process through that, and even in, in just a moment when you as Christians, as you go to the tables and celebrate the Lord's Supper, just know that, man, He was, when you take that bread and when you take dip it in the juice or the wine, just know that man, his, He was broken for you so that you could be rescued out of, the biggest storm of life, which is sin. Now, lastly, I threw out to you about the other boats. They're in the middle of the storm. What's interesting? Uh, Jesus community mission, mission, evangelism, sharing with others. Um, it's right there. I believe that there were other boats that were in the middle of the same storm. It was the same circumstance. They had the same fears. Then the storm quits, but they did not know why. They didn't know why the storm had quit, but the disciples knew. They knew. They knew the truth. They knew it was because of Jesus as God, that He's a sovereign God, that He loved them, and that He was near them. And there was a responsibility that they did take on imperfectly, but they took it on to go and to spread in their neighborhoods and in the marketplace and in the other towns, and all over the world, to be able to say, there is a God that sometimes, you're rescued from a storm in your life, and you had no idea, but it was God who did it, because He loves you. He's all powerful, He's loving, and He's near, and this is the God, that you need to surrender your life to. you guys pray with me? Lord, uh, help us to, uh, help us just to, man, help us just revel, Uh, In grace. Help us to wallow in it today that You're so good that You don't slap us around because of the doubts, but You just remind us that it's a lack of faith that we have, that we just need to believe in You and that You've got all the peace that we need because You're close, You're all-powerful, You're loving, and You're near us, Lord. So may we take that into the storm we're in right now, or may we take it and apply it to the storms we've come out of, Lord, or maybe may we take it and the friends and the community, the people that we're in the boat together with, and the ones that are in the middle of a storm or in the middle of other hard circumstances that maybe they caused in their life or whatever it may be, and just say, man, God, He is all-powerful and He does love you and He's near you. Trust Him. Trust Him. He's holding you. Help us to walk with one another, Lord. And may that... May that faith that we have, Lord, even be inspiring and uh, catalytic toward the faith of others, God. Help us as we respond to you in Jesus' name.